welcome to the Scripture Study Project, our podcast dedicated to helping you discover the scriptures in a fresh way, invest your mind and heart into your personal study, and connect to God in your everyday life. We are your hosts, Krista and Zach Horton, and this week we are studying Doctrine and Covenants, sections 49 through 50. Um, this week we have provided a special ambient sound of rain as we record. <laughs> no, right now we're just sitting by windows recording and I thought, oh, we probably should move so we don't, so no one hears rain. But then I realized like that's a, that's a sound people pay good money for. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a playlist that you get on Spotify to make sure that you can relax. Marvel at our uh, editing abilities, even though it's not editing. Yeah, we're just, this is this is real life rain, you guys. So you're getting an extra special episode with that. Um, this study this week, as we head into sections 49 through 50, is, you know, I said last week, it was kind of a continuation from the weeks before that. And really, all of these sections are kind of tied together. They're coming from the same period of time, from the same location, things, similar questions being asked as um, more more and more people come to the church, come to this area. And there's lots of questions of how to handle all of the situations that arise. I think it's a comforting thing just in that contextual note that uh, we always talk about the the restoration as a process, not an event, that God reveals truth line upon line. And this is historical proof that it's happening because we have these revelations that are building upon each other. A point that's made in an earlier revelation, like in section 46 that we read last week, is clarified in sections 49 and 50 and will continue to be clarified in further sections. And so it's comforting to me to know that the prophet Joseph Smith and those that are asking questions and working with him in in organizing the church um, are themselves, as inspired as they were, especially the prophet, uh, are also experiencing growing and unfolding revelation. It doesn't all come at once to them. They have to ask questions. They have to wrestle with what they've been given until they're given more. Um, and, And that's a comforting thing to me. And I think we can expect that along our own journey, our faith journeys, our revelation journeys, and how we listen, how we hear, and how we come to understand God. In those last few episodes that we've done, we talked about some of the ways that we can discern the Spirit and some of the internal pressure pressures that we can give to ourselves to recognize who God is and how we find the manifestations of, of the Spirit. And this week is, we're not going to call it a continuation because that gets old when we keep saying that because really it's all one one book that we're studying, right? But um, it sort of is, and we want to study along those same lines today. Last week, after our episode, I found this quote as I was studying a bit more. Uh, so this is something the prophet wrote in an editorial much later on in the Times and Seasons when they're in Nauvoo. But it captures, I think, the severity of this particular uh, wrestle that church members are having. The context is the same as last week. We have these members of the church that are trying to figure out what the Spirit looks like and feels like. And they're faced with some confusing evidence around them because other people that have joined the church are bringing with them their Christian traditions where they exhibit these 
grand and often confusing spiritual manifestations where they babble in tongues or they do uh, crazy acts. And uh, it's confusing uh, to church members who are trying to figure out, well, what does it actually look like, sound like, feel like when God is talking to us? And so last episode, as you said, Krista, we we approach that. Uh, but here's Uh, what the prophet said years later that I think elevates that study and shows the importance of it. He wrote, One great evil is that men are ignorant of the nature of spirits, their power, laws, government, intelligence, etc., and imagine that when there is anything like power, revelation, or vision manifested, that it must be of God. Translation, Uh, One problem that we face is that when something is powerful or revelatory, quote-unquote, or visionary or persuasive or motivating or emotional, we might jump to the conclusion that it is of God. And this happens to us all of the time as modern members of the church. If If someone's speaking or we're at an experience and it's an emotional moment, or it helps it, we get excited, or uh, we feel fired up to do something, we often ascribe that to the Spirit being present. Now, to be clear, of course, when the Spirit is present, we can at times become emotional, and we can at times feel motivated or excited. Those are definitely fruits of the Spirit. But those kinds of feelings can also accompany someone that's just persuasive or someone that's just motivational or an experience that's just exciting. They don't have to be clear indicators of the spirit all the time. Uh, and, And the prophet makes this point. He says this, a man must have the discerning of spirits before he can drag into daylight this hellish influence and unfold it unto the world in all its soul destroying diabolical and horrid colors. And then here's the point. For nothing is a greater injury to the children of men than to be under the influence of a false spirit when they think they have the spirit of God. And he'll say later on in this quote, Nations have been convulsed, kingdoms overthrown, provinces laid waste, and blood, carnage, and desolation are the habiliments in which it has been clothed. In other words, there have been some horrible things in history that have happened when people felt empowered, motivated. They felt like they had a clear vision. They felt emotional or excited. And so it gets really confusing because, of course, as I said, those things can indicate that the Spirit is present, but they can also indicate that someone's just being persuasive and the Spirit isn't present. And so in all of that confusion, the prophet asks, is God the author of all this? If not all of it, which does he recognize? Surely such a heterogeneous mass of confusion never can enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so that's the feeling that's on the minds and hearts of church members as they're asking questions and and receiving section 50. And I think it's something that we wrestle with ourselves today as well. Yeah, and I really like that this section 50 begins with a very similar thoughts into what this quote from Joseph Smith is. Um, Verse 2 starts out, Behold, verily I say unto you, that there are many spirits which are false spirits, which have gone forth in the earth, deceiving the world, 
and Satan, and also Satan has sought to deceive you that he might overthrow you. They talk, he goes on to verse four to talk about that the church has seen abominations that profess his name, um, goes on to talk about hypocrites, kind of setting up that same scene of that this is a real thing. And I think that's good to recognize that there are false spirits at work in the world and that we need to be able to identify both sides of that. Yeah. Unfortunately, as omniscient and clear as God is, we as humans are very limited in our understanding and very human in our experience. And thus, as President Nelson has counseled us to grow into the principle of revelation, that process of growing is messy and it's fraught with uh, with confusion sometimes and learning and growing. And other you know, other powers are at work at us. Yeah. So it's it's that conscious effort that we need to put in. I think that's why these types of studies that we've now done the last few weeks and really a lot of the sections in the Doctrine and Covenants have been about, it's important that we learn this so and what that the, we relearn it. Yeah. So what the Lord does in section 50, uh, there is a repeated two words that I fixated on and I think are really powerful and they show up multiple times. And the two words are, of God. And the Lord is very clear in this section, uh, in section 50, what things are of God and which things are not of God. And so what we want to ask you as you study this week, what question we want to pose to you is, what am I certain is of God? The goal for this episode is at the end of it, you're able to examine the things in your spiritual life and maybe with more conviction, be able to identify which things are truly of God to help solidify your testimony and strengthen it. To help with that, we've identified four things that the Lord in section 50 clearly identifies are of him. And we want to point out those things so that as you ask this question of yourself, uh, you can you have some tools to be able to help you evaluate that. So the first one comes in verse uh, 14, well, for 15, but uh, starting in verse 14. In fact, I'm going to start in verse 13. These are some of my favorite verses in the Doctrine and Covenants. They, uh, they changed me as a teacher. It says, Wherefore I, the Lord, ask you this question, unto what were ye ordained? And then he answers, To preach my gospel, by the Spirit, even the Comforter, which was sent forth to teach the truth. And just as an aside, I love and have taught my students for years. In that verse, it is very clear that I am not the teacher. Uh, I was sent forth to preach, but the Spirit is the only one that can take the message and take it into your heart and into your life. But then verse 15, it says this, And then received ye spirits, which ye could not understand and received them to be of God. And in this, are ye justified? That's a rhetorical question. The answer is, no, you weren't. You thought that these ununderstandable things that were happening were of God when God is very clear in his, in his workings with man. Um, one of the things I think uh, that I appreciate that the prophet Joseph restored to the earth was at his time, one of the things that was a prevalent teaching the day was that God was this unknowable mystery. 
You can't know him. You can't understand him. You can't comprehend him. And so don't even try. And uh, what Joseph was able to reveal was that God is reasonable. He says so in verse 10. The Lord says, let us reason together that you may understand. It's clear that God is intent on us understanding. Now, of course, there are some times when we can't fully understand, but, but God, when he speaks to us, is intent on our understanding. Well, this point is made clear once again in verse 31. He says, wherefore it shall come to pass that if you Behold, a spirit manifested that you cannot understand. So maybe there is something that is harder to understand. He says, and you receive not that spirit, you shall ask of the Father in the name of Jesus. And if he give not unto you that spirit, then you may know that it is not of God. Again, emphasizing that you, if you don't understand, maybe you've already asked once, ask again, and that you may know that it is not of God. He's going to continue to help and try and give you that. Verse 32 says, And it shall be given unto you power over that spirit, and you shall proclaim proclaim against that spirit with a loud voice that it is not of God. I even like that advice from the scripture from, from God saying that then say it out loud. Say, no, I know that that's not of God because I received this. I think that can be a powerful way to tell yourself that you understand something, honestly, is to proclaim it. And I love that it it says that right yeah. there. I think another helpful cross-reference, uh, if you remember section 8, the well-known reference when the Lord says that he will speak to our mind and our heart by the Holy Ghost, which will come upon us and dwell in our hearts. And then he calls that the spirit of revelation, meaning when the Lord speaks to us, he speaks to our mind and our heart. Um, one of the things I remember from my mission president was him saying that one of the things he appreciated most about his testimony about the church was that the gospel to him both made sense and felt right. I think that's what understand means. It means it makes sense to us. And if it doesn't make sense, we are entitled to even commanded to ask God until we can discern uh, and understand it. And also that it feels right, that we feel a personal connection or feel a personal uh, truth, feel a verification of the Spirit um, that comes to us. I think that's what understanding means, at least part of what it means. And so the first thing when the Lord speaks to us, when something is of God, it is understandable. The second one comes a couple of verses later, verse 17. Verily I say unto you, he that is ordained of me and sent forth to preach the word of truth by the comforter in the spirit of truth, doth he preach it by the spirit of truth or some other way? And if it be by some other way, it is not of God. Now, just to be clear, when I when I first read this, in fact, when we were talking about this episode before when we were planning it, I thought, well, let's look at the things that aren't of God. And I thought he was being specific about the things that aren't of God. And as I reread it, I realized, no, the Lord is being very specific about the things that are of God. And then anything else that's not that is not of God. So in this one, verse 17, um, if something is preached by the spirit of truth, by the comforter, it is of God. In other words, if something is comforting, which is very different than something being comfortable, it is not 
an indication of the spirit that something uh, is comfortable. It, but it is an indication uh, or, or a sign or a gift of the spirit that something is comforting because the spirit is a comforter. And when it comes from that comforter, we can know that it is of God. And if it is not from that comforter, then it is not of God. Well, maybe this is an example later on in section 50 where he's talking, the Lord is talking specifically to a few people. In verse 36, he says, And behold, verily I say unto you, Blessed are you who are now hearing these words of mine from the mouth of mine servant, for your sins are forgiven you. Which I think that's comforting mm. when we hear, when we even feel that ourselves, but let alone to actually hear that in a revelation. But he says, let my servant Joseph Wakefield, in whom I am well pleased, again, more comforting, right? And my servant Parley P. Pratt. But so they're getting these comforting words. They're forgiven and he's pleased with them. But what their assignment is, isn't necessarily comfortable. So it doesn't mean that just because it's comforting doesn't mean that it's going to be comfortable. Sometimes as disciples, we're asked to do hard things that might not be comfortable. Yeah, I think there's a feeling that comes. I think what comfort to me at least means is I know that the path I am on is eternally right, even if it's not immediately easy. Um, and that's to me what comfort is. I know that I'm headed in the right direction. I know that I'm on the covenant path, or at least I know where the path is and I'm making progress towards it, even if it takes me up a mountain or through a valley or through some bushes uh, and is a little bit difficult. Which it certainly will, right? That's life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The third thing that's of God or the third thing the Lord says uh, that helps us to know if something is of him uh, is verse 19 and 20. Again, he that receiveth the word of truth, doth he receive it by the spirit of truth or some other way? If it be some other way, it is not of God. So, uh, and this was mentioned before too, but the third is that when something is of God, it is, of course, truth. Now, I don't fully know what the phrase spirit of truth means. As I read that this time, I realized that's a phrase I've read however many hundreds of times without pausing to really wrestle with what it means. Um, there are some great synonyms for truth in this section. For example, in verse 24, that which is of God is light. And then verse 25, uh, I say unto you that you may know that truth, that you may chase darkness from among you. So light and truth chase darkness away. And then down in verse 27, uh, life and light and spirit and power are sent forth by the will of the Father through Jesus Christ his Son. So there are some great synonyms there. And actually, coming up in some future sections, uh, we will study light and truth in much greater depth. But at the very least, when something comes from God, there is a spiritual sense of truth that comes with it. Um, in Alma 32, when he talks about discerning the seed, if the seed is true, he also uses the word good, and he talks about it being delicious. Um, there's a famous experience where President Packer uh, is asked to describe what the Spirit feels like, and he turns the question back on the asker and says, tell me what salt tastes like, and the person can't do it without using the word salt. 
And President Packer says, neither can I explain the feelings of the spirit, independent of saying the spirit. Um, but it's, a, it's an experience that you only know when you felt it. And I think that's what, at least in part, what the spirit of truth is. There is an inner knowing that our spirit can sense when something is true, eternally true. I like the way that this is explained. I think it's kind of exciting to think of that study as we go through later on and more about the spirit of truth. But I like the way that it's explained in verse 22. Wherefore, he that preacheth and he that receiveth understand one another, and both are edified and rejoice together. As you talk about that, kind of that hard wit, how hard it can be to actually explain your feelings. I like that here it's talked about edifying, rejoicing together, that you understand one another, that it's this, I can't even really put words to it, but that I'm just going to read it like that, edified and rejoice together, that you, you're heard, you're understood. Some of those things are maybe only really richly understood in the spirit of truth. Yeah, only possible when the spirit is present. Yeah, right? yeah. In fact, that brings up the fourth one in verse 23. That which is which doth not edify is not of God and is darkness. So the fourth indicator that something is of God is that it edifies. Now, this is one that I think we might misunderstand sometimes and that might contribute a bit to that confusion that we were talking about at the beginning of the episode. Um, the word edify comes from Latin roots, which means to build up, or maybe more specifically, to build up a structure. You think of an edifice, a building edifice, similar roots. Um, now, I think what we often mistakenly believe that edify means is it makes us feel good, right? If something is edifying, it makes us happy. It makes us feel good. It makes us excited. It makes you rejoice, like it makes, I said. Well, it does, of Verse course. Verse 22. Of course. <laughs> but there can be a danger in that where we can listen to something or experience something that makes us happy or that triggers those positive emotions without it actually being true. You contrast that with, for example, for me, listening to General Conference. Um, I think most of us would probably would probably be okay with the description that general conference speakers, prophets and apostles, on the whole, are not seeking to be very charismatic orators. They're not fiery. They're not employing any kind of special sparkle tactics to make their message come across more easily. They're just speaking their message in plainness and in truth. And when I listen to those talks, especially when I'm listening to them individually, one at a time and taking time to think about them, they are extremely clear to me and they structure my mental, my emotional, and my spiritual life in such a way that it goes better. Just this morning, I was listening to President Oaks talk from the priesthood session. Uh, and President Oaks, of course, is very linear and organized in the way that he presents his message. But as I was, as I finished listening to his talk, I felt more edified, meaning I felt more spiritually organized. My life made more sense after listening to the message that he shared. And then President Nelson spoke right after him, and I had a very similar experience with President Nelson as well. And so I think when the spirit is present and when something is of God, 
Um, of course, it can bring emotional responses, but I think more importantly, it brings a spiritual structure to our life that helps us to make sense of ourselves, make sense of the world, make sense of our relationship with God and what it is that he wants us to do. Well, I've loved this study in these sections because these are very clear. You know, you understand, you're comforted, the truth and the edification, but even though they're clear, doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to happen in a blink or that it's going to be easy. Um, And I take comfort in verse 41, starting in verse 41. Fear not, little children, for you are mine, and I have overcome the world, and you are of them that my Father hath given me, and none of them that my Father hath given me shall be lost. Um, I think don't forget that we have someone helping us along the way as we work on these things, as we try and discern what what it really is of God and what comes from him and how we can find more truth and find more comfort and understanding and be more edified. Um, And I just love the end chap, the end verse in actually it's not the end verse. It's just the end of the page, almost the end verse 44. Wherefore I am in your midst and I am the good shepherd and the stone of Israel. He that buildeth upon this rock shall never fall. So don't forget that as we study these principles of what we're certain of, who is the God that we are founding these principles on, that he's there for us and that he is our rock. Well, I hesitate saying this because that was such a perfect end, but I do want to touch briefly on section 49, which we didn't study in this episode, but you'll study it on your own, of course. But the story here, I think, is a powerful one that connects to some of these principles and gives an example um, what's interesting to me is I have only recently come to better understand this story. I've always been uh, interested in the story of Lehman Copley in section 49. Uh, Lehman Copley lives in Ohio and he joins the church early on and he had been affiliated with the Shaker movement. Um, the Shakers called themselves Believers. And uh, they were called Shakers because they were part of these groups where they had some outward kind of exuberant manifestations of the spirit. They would shake and dance, and that was part of their their worship service. And Lehman Copley was affiliated with them and uh, and then joined the church and then was called on a mission back to the Shakers to preach to them or to deliver to them the message that comes in section 49. Now, I have taught this a number of times, and in previous years, I would always use this same object lesson of a monkey reaching into a box to grab something. And once that monkey gets his fist around an object, a nut or something shiny, because he's made a fist, he can't get his hand out of the box. And it's a symbol for there are things in our life that if we don't let go of, then uh, we can't be free. And I use that to say Lehman Copley couldn't let go of his shaker affiliations. And so later on, he left the church. Well, as I was reading his story this time, I realized he wasn't really that connected to the Shakers. Uh, for one thing, they believed that uh, they believed in celibacy, and Lehman Copley was married. And the leader of the Shaker movement wrote to Lehman Copley and kind of chastised him for not being more in. And, and Lehman lived far away from the Shakers anyway. And so he may have been interested in their teachings, but I don't think he was really holding on to them. However, When he goes on this mission with Sidney Rigdon and Parley Pratt up to preach to them and give them section 49, if you read the story in the Revelations in context, uh, it does not go well. 
Parley Pratt gets all fiery up, uh, gets all fired up. He reads section 49. He offends a bunch of people. The Shakers get offended. He gets offended. He ends up storming off on his horse and Lehman's crying and he goes back to his farm and it shakes him up. And I think it's that experience that he can't really let go of and which eventually uh, sours him and, 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 uh, and severs his relationship with the church. And as I was thinking of these different things that are not of God, and I was thinking of Lehman Copley, I was just pondering in my life, are there things in my life that are not of God? Now that I've been able to identify what is of God, are there some things that are not of God that I might be holding on to, clinging on to? Whether it's feelings I have towards others, in this case, it's Lehman Copley's feelings towards other church members good church members, leaders even, and because he can't relinquish his feelings towards them, he can't progress the way that he needs to. Do I have any of those? Do I have feelings towards other people? Or or do I have beliefs or practices or things in my life that I just can't let go of that aren't of God? They don't help me understand things better. They're not true. They're not edifying. They're not comforting that I could let go of so that I could free my hand from that proverbial tree and and move forward. I don't know if that helps anyone, but it helped me as I was thinking. But at any rate, we do hope that this study helps you to answer the question, what am I certain is of God? Thank you so much for being with us. Have a wonderful study, and we will see you next episode.